Good morning, Connection Point Church. How are you doing? All right, I'm doing pretty good, and uh, from the looks of it, there's uh, a lot of people skipping church today, huh? Well, we get good weather, and then all of a sudden, everybody's like, hey, hooky. But that's good, because I've got a message for you today, and I'm very excited about uh, this message, and it seems more applicable to uh, uh, on a Sunday where people are skipping church, okay? Now, um, I, I, I don't know if you've ever had this happen to you, but this happened to me uh, a few weeks ago or a few months ago at my birthday. I got a gift that solved a problem I didn't know I have. Have you ever had that happen? Somebody solved a problem you didn't have. I want you all to see this. Watch this. All right. In like two seconds, I can have earphones in my ears and they're ready to roll. How many of you own a pair of AirPods? Okay, I know there's a few of you that, that have these. I did not know I needed these until I got a pair. Last week, my daughter comes to me and she says, hey, can I borrow your earphones? And because, you know, I have the AirPods, I, I said, yeah, you can have the other pair. And I took out a pair of these, oh, these brand, I mean, they're pretty new. And I want to tell you, before I even came up here, I straightened these out. But even without that, look, they're, they're still in a knot. And it took me, it probably took me five minutes to untie the knot that, uh, the, that, that wasn't even in a knot when I put them in my pocket. And now that I've got these AirPods, I'm like, you know what? This move to cordless is fantastic because it's, it's, it's just a truth that I see everywhere in my life. And now finally our society is catching up with the cordless revolution, right? Because one thing I've noticed is that it is much easier to tie a knot than it is to untie a knot. Have you ever realized this? Of course you have. Now I see this everywhere. I see this when I try to tie my kid's shoe and I tie it in one knot, maybe a double knot, but then I come back the next day and there are 10 knots all over his shoe and I'm like, how'd you even do this? He's like, I don't know. I see it most alarmingly every single week. And the first time or second time this happened, it was startling to me. But now about every Friday or certainly before, uh, sometime before church, uh, uh, leading up to church, I will hear blood-curdling screams in my, in my household. And I, I mean, like the first time I heard it, I walked into my bedroom and I thought I was going to find my child with a knife sticking out of her neck. It was that type of scream. And to find out, she was having her hair brushed. That's all, okay? Now, I, I don't know if uh, some of us in here may not have this experience because before this, before I had a beautiful African daughter with this beautiful hair, I thought everybody, you know, had my experience. I just, you know, had these white wavy locks of just, you know, beautiful hair I know. Okay, anyway, not white locks, I, I misspoke. But uh, as, I, as I just, just put my, my comb through, it just flows through. Now, my daughter's hair... It's probably the, the most beautiful creature. We've established that many times in this, this service, but she's the most beautiful thing God's ever created. But I want to let you know, when you see her, no matter how her hair is, her hair is that pretty because she has put in some blood, sweat, and tears into that hair because her hair, you can't just run a comb through this. I did not know this. You run a comb through that and, and it hurts her. And in fact, I think that's the reason she's more of a daddy's girl is because mom is the only one that knows how to untie some of these knots. But one thing's for certain. She doesn't spend the week putting knots in her hair saying, hey, I just want to untie these later. Instead, she has this, this just natural phenomenon that happens all over. And that is that knots are easy to tie, but they are hard to untie. And that is just a rule of life. 
And you see it everywhere. In fact, every time I even try to do the yard and I get my garden hose, when they come out with the hoseless garden hose, then we're talking, right? Then we're going to be somewhere in society. But today, I want to talk to you about untying knots. And I believe that God has really given me a word for you today. Now, the the knots we're going to talk about untying, though, we're not going to talk about uh, the simple knots. I mean the knots of life. And in fact, I've had some knots in my life that I just couldn't untie. For many years of my life, I thought I was going to go to the NBA and have an NBA career, but now I've decided that's not happening, right? That is a knot that I just can't untie. That is just the way it's going to be. Uh, you know, I try to uh, fight Father Tom. I try to stay hip and cool, right? And it's just not happening. And the way I know that is my kids tell me that every single day. It's just not happening. But there are some knots in our life that are more serious. There are some knots in our life that were easy to tie, but they are hard to untie. And almost all of us have some of these knots. And most of us, if not all of us, know other people who right now have some knots. In fact, you may be hearing this not because you need a knot untied today, but because you know someone that God has put in your life who has some knots they can't untie, and they need to hear this message from you this week. We all have knots. You know what? My job's not getting any better. You know what? My life is not where I thought it would be. You know what? My marriage is not going well. My kids are not doing well. I'm not happy. I do not have joy. I do not think this will ever change. We all have this. I do not think I'll ever have a relationship. I, don't, I do not think I'll ever get through this season. We all have knots. And, and they were easy to tie. They were easy to get into. But we don't know how to untie our knots. And so today as we walk through this, I want to show you how Jesus can untie your knots. And we're going to be in Luke chapter 19. So I want you to open your Bibles. The Bible's in front of you. It's on page 570. You can also go to connectionpoint.life. You can also, if you have your CPC 5 or sheet of paper, take notes. Um, I want to give you a little context before we get into this passage of Luke chapter 19. Because one of the things I want to avoid, I want to make sure we have good context, is I don't want us to ever get in the mindset that the Bible is a magic book that fell out of the sky. I want us to understand that the Bible is God revealing himself in history, and he does it through many different authors. He does it over many years, thousands of years. And so when we say the gospel of Luke, here's what we mean. There was a man named Luke, and he had a friend named Theophilus. And Luke had become a Christ follower, and so had his friend Theophilus. But Luke met some interesting people. He met a man named John. He met a man named Peter. He met a man named Paul. And so Luke knew the eyewitnesses who saw the life of Jesus, who saw and would, would give their lives telling you, this is what Jesus did. Luke knew these people. And so Luke writes a letter, and you can even read in the first chapter of the Gospel of Luke, you can read Luke's, Luke's uh, intro. Here's why I'm writing. Theophilus, I want you to know I found the eyewitnesses who saw these things. And if you're going to follow Christ, I want you to know what they said. And so when we 
read a passage today, I want you to understand this is something that eyewitnesses said happened. This is something that, that was not a magic book that, 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 that came just you know, from heaven. This is something that happened in, in history and we can trust it. So in Luke chapter 18, I'm going to give you some, some just a little bit of context of what's going on in the story. Now, Luke 18, Jesus is in what we would consider modern-day Jordan in Perea, okay? And he has made the decision that he is going to go to Jerusalem. He's just done some things that if you've been in church a while, you've probably heard of. He's just told the children, hey, let the children come to me. He's just uh, had a man come up who was rich, and he told that man to, to go sell everything he owns. And then all the disciples are like, what? We got to sell everything. We've already done that, but what, you know? And, and, and he said to that man, he said, it's harder for a rich man to go to heaven than it is for a camel to go through the eye of a needle. And the disciples were stunned. So he's just done this in this place called Perea, or they sometimes call it beyond the Jordan. And he's decided now to go to Jerusalem. But this time going to Jerusalem is different than every time he's gone to Jerusalem. He's going there with an intention, and in, in 18, he, Luke chapter 18, 31 through 34, we're going to see the intention. This is what he says. Luke tells us, And taking the twelve, he, that's Jesus, said to them, See, we are going up to Jerusalem. Now they're going east to west, but why does he say up? It's because uh, Jerusalem is 2,500 feet above sea level. It's on a mountain. It's on Mount Moriah, okay? And they're going to cross through uh, Jericho. Jericho is the lowest city in the world. It's 850 feet below sea level. So anytime you go to Jerusalem, especially from Jericho, you go up. Doesn't matter what direction you're going. So he's going up to Jerusalem and he says, everything that is written about the son of man by the prophets will be accomplished. And he's about to do something he hasn't done yet. He's about to get very direct with the disciples. Because, and, and, and this is kind of my reasoning behind why he's direct, Jesus is someone who taught in, in parables. Jesus would be very unclear sometimes when he was teaching people, but now all of a sudden, he's going to get very clear, very direct. It's kind of like, ladies, if you've ever had um, an anniversary, or if you're dating someone a month anniversary, and, uh, and you start dropping hints about it, right? You know, hey, in a month, it's our anniversary. You know, this year is my 20-year uh, uh, anniversary, and we've already had some, hey, it's 20-year anniversary, you know. And there, and there, but it comes like a month away, and, and you're still the guy, you're, you know, your, your spouse, your guy's like, yeah, it's, it's, it's coming up, and, and, and you drop some more hints. You know, hey, it's three days away, our anniversary, and you're just real. And then finally, like the day before, what do you have to do? Hey, where are we going to eat tomorrow? Okay, what are we doing tomorrow? That's kind of the, the idea the Time is coming, and so Jesus gets much more direct to the people. He's becoming much more clear, especially to his disciples. So he's going to give them what we call the gospel. When we say gospel, it means good news. It's the good news of Jesus. Here is the gospel in Jesus' words, pretty clear. He says, for he will be delivered. He's using the third person to talk about himself because he's Jesus. He can do that. For he will be delivered over to the Gentiles, and he will be mocked and shamefully treated and spit upon. And after flogging him, they will kill him. Now you're saying, why is that good news? Well, the good news is what he tacks on to the end here. And on the third day, he will rise. 
So this is the clearest time to the disciples that Jesus has said, this is what's going on here. I'm going to give my life. When we go to Jerusalem, I'm not just going on a vacation. I'm not just going for, uh, you know, for a festival. I'm going to give my life. I know I'm giving my life, but I also know God is going to raise me from the dead. I know I'm going to experience something that's going to set free so many people. And, and, and so when we talk about the gospel, it's just as Jesus says, if I live, then you will surely live. And so he goes there, but it says they understood none of these things. Remember, this is the disciples talking to Luke saying, hey, we didn't understand what he was saying. This was hidden from them and they did not grasp it. You understand when we talk about the disciples while they're with Jesus, the disciples did not think they were following Jesus Skywalker, okay? They did not think if you strike him down, he'll become more powerful. They did not think that when they talk about Jesus, that he was a superhero. They thought he was a good teacher. Yes, they thought he was the Messiah, but they still didn't have this idea that it's okay if they kill Jesus because he'll just rise from the dead, okay? No one defaults at a resurrection. And the same for the disciples. They, in their minds at this point, still do not think if Jesus dies, he will be physically resurrected. Nobody defaults at that. Sometimes when we read back on it, we think, well, it's easy for them. They knew Jesus was magical. He could do. No, no one thought that Jesus was God in the way that he was God. No one thought he was going to reveal himself this way, even his followers. That's why they abandoned him when he's crucified until the third day. Now, Jesus is intentionally walking to Jerusalem and he decides to go through Jericho. And this is the last thing that is, we're going to learn about the life of Jesus before he enters Jerusalem. And he's going there with a single purpose, knowing I'm giving my life. But yet for some reason, when he goes through Jericho, he does something. He, he makes sure an encounter happens that will give a perspective of his entire ministry, why he came to live a life, to give his life in Jerusalem so that he could be raised from the dead. He's going to do something with a man that was infamous. A man, in fact, many of us still have heard songs about, okay? A man named Zacchaeus. Now, Luke 19, when we pick it up, Jesus is entering Jericho. Again, he's going towards Jerusalem. It says he entered Jericho and was passing through. Now, because we're a very uh, um, technologically advanced church, I made a video for you, okay? This video is Google Earth, okay? And I just want to, to show you, this is a real place. You can still go to the road that Jesus crosses through Jericho on. There's Connection Point Church for a while, right? It's going to change. Now, you can go, even to this day, you can go to the main road and you can see the road. Now, it's paved a little bit. The utilities are only slightly better than when Jesus was there. But you can still go, and this is the main road where Jesus would have gone through. It still exists. This is a real place. This is really happening. It says, and behold, there was a man named Zacchaeus. And he was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Okay, there are two things. He was a chief tax collector and he was rich. Then it says, and Zacchaeus, he was seeking to see who Jesus was. But on account of the crowd, he could, everybody said together, not. Because he was small in stature, because Zacchaeus was a? Okay, I had to get that out of the way, okay? Now, 
That's the church crowd right there. That's people that grew up in church, okay? That's people who went to a VBS or did something along the way. If you did not know what that is, ask someone to sing it for you before you leave. Um, There are two reasons given to why he could not see Jesus, okay? He could not see Jesus because there was a crowd and because he was a wee little man. He was small in stature, but that's not what it says. It did not say he could not see Jesus. It says he could not see who Jesus was. Now, there are two other reasons that show us why he could not see who Jesus was. You know, you might be able to see me, but you might not see who I really am. There are two reasons here that you can't see, that he couldn't see who Jesus really was. He was a chief tax collector. What does that mean? Now, a tax collector could have been anything. Matthew was one of Jesus' disciples, was a tax collector. Matthew sat in a toll booth, and he, and he basically did toll us. Matthew was considered a traitor because he was a tax collector because he worked for Rome, and Rome was occupying Israel, and so he wasn't liked. But a chief tax collector is a different sort of animal. A chief tax collector um, is more of an appraiser. He had guys working for him. He had the guys in the toll booth working for him. The chief tax collector is the guy, and some of us um, still deal with this problem. It's more of an institutionalized uh, um, uh, problem. The chief tax collector could come to your house and say, you know what? Things have been good around here. Your house has doubled in value. You know what? Now that it's increased, you owe me more this, even though you don't have a job, even though you don't, because you own this house, hey, I'm going to take more this year than I did last year. He could increase, he could appraise it, anything he wanted, and he would not just take one or two you know, more uh, dollars than he needed. He could take a percentage of your worth just because he wanted to. And in fact, you better believe he had a reputation of this. And not only could he go to your house, somebody went to his house and came back with an appraisal. He could have said, you know what, their house is worth, I know John, hey, his house is worth more. John, I'm gonna take a little more from your cut. You see, that's the type of power. And so there was a corruption in his everyday life that kept him from even looking for Jesus. He certainly was not seeing Jesus. And it also says he was rich and understand Jesus had just taught the disciples. It is hard for a rich man to go into heaven. Now understand when we talk about rich, we're talking about a man who probably had a a house just for his camels, right? Just for his donkeys, just for his transportation. He probably parked his transportation in in a place in his house, right? He probably had so many clothes. He had his own room for all his, oh wait, that's us, right? Understand when we talk about rich, all of us in here are, are, are what most people would consider rich. Some of us have AirPods, right? That's a sign right there. Okay, understand that this isn't just, um, just about Zacchaeus. This is something that we all struggle with. It is hard for us when, when we do not need Jesus for our daily bread. It is hard for us when we do not think that this day is going to be hard. I think I can manage it myself. That's where Zacchaeus was. He, he could not see who Jesus was because he was a sinful man. And he had all his needs taken care of. And he wasn't looking. But yet there was something in him that said, you know what? I need to see who Jesus really, really is. Not who the Republicans say he is. Not who the Democrats say he is. Not who the guy on the podcast says he is. Not who everyone else says. I want to see who he really is. And so 
It says he ran on ahead and he climbed up into a sycamore sea to see what he could see. Okay, y'all know where it's going. For he, Jesus, was about to pass that way. Now, uh, last month I was in Jericho and I have a picture of a tree, okay? And our guide was very sure this is the tree. This is the tree. So I did a little research, okay? There are actually three different sycamore trees that claim to be the tree, okay? Now, the oldest sycamore tree that actually exists right now is 1,500 years, years old, and this is not it. Now, they, now, some people say this is a 3,000-year-old tree. I did some research. It's not likely, okay? Could be. I don't know. But I will tell you, there are sycamore trees on the main road even to this day in Jericho. Again, this really happened. This is something that actually occurred. And Jesus walks And he's going to, now I want you to think, you're walking through Jericho and you're on your way to Jerusalem because you know you're about to give your life. You're intentionally going to a place where you know when you get there, people are already looking for you. There's already a bounty on you. You're already dead when you step into Jerusalem. What would you be thinking about as you cross through Jericho? Well, Jesus walks by a tree and he sees a man up in that tree. Now there could have been other people in other trees, but he sees this one man and he stops. And what he's about to do is symbolic of everything. In fact, the key verse in the book of Luke or in the letter that Luke is writing is in this passage. He sees him and he, and something makes him stop. He says, Zacchaeus, Now, how did he know his name? Maybe it's because he's Jesus, right? That's always a default answer. He knows everything, right? He's Jesus. But it could be that Zacchaeus was, that Jesus wasn't the only one whose reputation preceded him. You see, when Jesus at this time would come into a place just like in Jericho, um, there weren't a lot of movie theaters and stuff. And so if people wanted to pass the time or have a good time, hey, let's go see this big deal that's coming through the, the, the streets. And they would come watch the Jesus parade or whoever it was. They would go out and just listen to John the Baptist who they thought was crazy because he ate locusts and he made his own clothes. They would just go out and watch for fun. I mean, how many of y'all wish, you know what, for fun, I would love to go hear Joel preach just, you know, for hours and hours. That would be fun. So probably in this crowd, all of us, I know. Thank you for not all raising your hands at the same time. Uh, that would have been embarrassing. Now, that's what's going on, okay? They, a lot of people are just showing up to see because Jesus is kind of a big deal, but Zacchaeus also has a reputation that's preceding him. Now, it could have been that Jesus had heard before as he was going in or maybe the disciples said, hey, that's Zacchaeus. I know, I know, I know that guy. Man, he is, he is not the type of guy that you want to be around. Could have been. But Jesus sees this and he says, there's something worth stopping here. And he calls him by name Zacchaeus. Hurry down from a stay at your house today. And I want you to think about all the things that were leading up to this. Zacchaeus was a man of many knots. You know, he did not need Jesus. He was wealthy. He did not wake up saying, hey, how am I going to eat today? He, he, he was the type of guy that you would say, you know what? He is not a church person. How many of y'all have a friend? You don't have to raise your hand. You know, you just think about them. I would never invite them to church because they are not a church person. I don't want our building to collapse or whatever while them walking in. Some of us have thought that about ourselves walking in. I, I am not a church person. 
You know, he might've even said, you know what? I'm not liked. I don't have any friends. Maybe he would have realized, you know what? I'm not, a, I'm not a good person. I'm not generous. I'm not the type of person that God likes. I'm not the type of person that needs to be around a rabbi who is a holy man. I'm not that guy. And think about what all the other people, the knots they were tying on Zacchaeus. Man, I do not like Zacchaeus. I do not want my friends or family to see me near Zacchaeus. Man, I do not want to invite Zacchaeus to church because I do not want to sit near Zacchaeus in church. All of the things that they might have been saying, hey, Zacchaeus does not need help. Zacchaeus cannot be helped. I want to point out, all of us have knots we can't untie. All of us have knots. And Zacchaeus has knots, but you and I have knots. I cannot fix my marriage. You know what? I will not ever have a relationship. I will not ever get through this season. I will not ever find a job. I will not ever find a new job. I will not ever be happy. I will not, I cannot find peace or joy. We all have knots, but yet Jesus thinks this is so important when he sees Zacchaeus and his knots that he says, you know what? I need to address this. And he calls him by name. And he says, Zacchaeus, come down for I must stay at your house today. You know what? It's very interesting. We all have knots and we all know people with knots. And when we see people with knots, we make assumptions, right? But Jesus made an invitation. Jesus sees the knots, not just that Zacchaeus has, but that the people are tying on to Zacchaeus of who he is and his identity. And Jesus says, this is why I came. Before I go to Jerusalem, I've got to demonstrate something here. And look what happens with that one invitation. That one invitation that Jesus kind of invites himself to Zacchaeus' house. Someone who did not have friends, did not feel welcome in his own city. Jesus invites him and it says, Zacchaeus hurried and came down and received him joyfully. And you can see the knots of Zacchaeus' life just untying with this one encounter with Jesus. And in fact, joyfully is not put in there with, you know, as a second thought. It's the point of that sentence. He hurried down joyfully. Here's a man who had all of these reasons not to be joyful. And now he's been free. He's been loosed of these knots. And then look what happens. When they saw it, everybody say they. they. They, let's say, that's a good way to say it, they, they. There's always a they. When they saw it, they all grumbled. He has, not, he has gone to be the guest of a man who is a sinner. And they put it on Jesus. Now, we all got a they, right? We all, do you have a, everybody has a they, especially when you start trying to untie some knots. When you start trying to, to see some change in your life, you're going to realize you got some theys. 
Now, why do they grumble? Have you ever thought about this? Why do the, the theys grumble? They grumble because they have knots, right? They have knots. And they have knots that are tied and they cannot untie. And they see you decide, I'm going to untie some knots. And here's what you need to understand about they. They don't want you to be untied. They don't want you to be free. What they want is they want you to be tied up like they are. They want you to be uncomfortable like they are. They have never felt what it's like to be untied. Now, here's the problem. Some of us, when we want to be untied from something, when we start praying, God, I cannot fix this. I cannot get through this. Some of us, instead of going to Jesus, the only one who can untie or not, some of us go to the day. And maybe you go to, uh, I used in the first service, I used the, uh, the idea, maybe you go down and talk to your girlfriends at the beauty shop and I got some shaking heads, like nobody actually does that. Maybe you go down to the barber shop and talk, you know, nobody actually does that, okay? But maybe you go to the they and maybe they're who you think is your friends. Maybe some of you have they that are family. Maybe you have close friends, but they have never actually felt a not be untied. And so they hear that, hey, you're going to church now, or hey, you've gotten religion, right? You've gotten spiritual now. And they begin to say, why are you doing that? You can never change. And they begin to tie some knots on you. But understand, you need to be careful when you begin to realize, I have some knots that I want untied. There's only one person who will untie your knots, and it is not they. They all grumbled. Why are you going? Why, Jesus, are you going to go to his house? He is a sinner. You know, the Bible makes clear there is no one righteous, not one. That's what Paul said. All have sinned and fall short of the glory of God. We are all sinners. Why would Jesus come to your house? Jesus shouldn't come to your house. Hey, if Jesus knew what you had done, he would not go in. But yet Jesus says, Zacchaeus, I'm coming to your house. And Zacchaeus feels it and the knots begin to go away. And Jesus walks in, even though the, the they says he shouldn't do it. And then we see Zacchaeus untied. Zacchaeus stood and he said to the Lord, behold, Lord, half my goods I give to the poor. And he's not doing this because he, he feels like, oh, I got to be a good person now. This is a man who's free. This is a man who, who does not have to do this, but he's so joyful now. He's rich and he's realized, you know what? This richness, this, this stuff, if I'm tied to it, then, then I need to get rid of it because it could be keeping me from Jesus. I could not see Jesus when I was about my stuff, but now I need this not untied. And he stands up and he gives half his belongings to the poor. He did not have to do this. This was a man who was untied. It reminds me a few chapters earlier in Luke chapter 13, he tells a story of a woman who could not walk. This woman was always bent over walking like this. She could not walk. Jesus said to her, woman, thou art loosed. That's King James. He says, thou art loosed. And immediately she is loosed. Her knot is gone. She could not walk. And she stands up. And what's the first thing she does? She praises God. Because if you've had a knot untied, you can't help but give glory to God. And so Zacchaeus is experiencing that, and he immediately says, I give half of my stuff to the poor. But then he does something interesting. He says, and if I have defrauded anyone of anything, I restore it fourfold. Now, Zacchaeus was a Jewish man, 
And according to the Jewish law, if you defraud someone, you have to give back uh, whatever you defrauded, whatever you stole, and then you have to give one-fifth on top of that as penalty, okay? And, And so, as a Jewish man, he could have said, hey, and I'm going to make this right, but he doesn't. He says, you know what? I'm going to restore it fourfold because he is not tied anymore. This is a freedom. This is a man that is loosed. And it is life-changing. And he wants everyone to know what it feels like when Jesus loses. He doesn't go to the they and say, hey, you guys didn't. He instead tells them, you guys, you got to see what Jesus, I am loosed. I'm a different person. My knots are fading away. Jesus said to him, today salvation has come to this house since he is also a son of Abraham. Now, he did not say, today salvation has come to this house because Zacchaeus gave money. Today salvation has come because Zacchaeus did a good deed. Today salvation has come because Zacchaeus is finally a good man. That's not what he says. He says, Zacchaeus, today salvation has come since he is also a son of Abraham. Now, what is a son of Abraham? Abraham was the father of the nation of Israel, the father of God's people. And Jesus was reminding Zacchaeus who he was. He was in the family of God. He was in a family. Salvation came not because you became good, not because you gave, not because you did a good deed. Salvation became because you are in the family of God. And this is the the idea you need to remember. Jesus thinks this is so important that people understand why I'm going to Jerusalem. Jesus did not come to make you a good person. He did not come to make bad people good. He came to make you sons and daughters. And in fact, he even clarifies this. For the son of man, that's the term that the Messiah, the anointed one, the, the prophesied savior would take on in the book of Daniel. For the son of man came to seek and save the lost. Jesus was going to Jerusalem, to live out the gospel, to finally show people that he had the power over death itself. And he says, before I go, you need to see what it looks like in your life when you encounter someone who brings you into the family of God. And Zacchaeus is loosed. His knots are untied. You know, Luke chapter 19, verse 10 is probably the single biggest reason of why did God send Jesus, why, what is the Messiah? The Messiah came to seek and save the lost. And here's what I want you to take from this. The first thing is, is that I want you to understand is that only Jesus unties your knots. Your marriage isn't going well. It's not going well. Your life is not where you thought it would be. Your, your, your life is not filled with the peace that you thought you would have. It's not okay right now. There are a lot of situations that only Jesus can untie. And what I want you to see is this is not just theory. This story happened in history. It really happened, but it's still happening. I'm going to do an experiment for, uh, we're just going to, I'm going to pick on our members. If you're a member of this church, I want you to raise your hand. If you... No, anybody can, anybody can participate, but I, I want to call in the members. Y'all are a little, little quiet today, so we're going to have some, some back and forth. How many of you have ever had a knot in your life? 
Raise your hand, especially members. Help me out. I've had knots. I've, I've, I've had knots I couldn't untie. I've struggled with lust. I've struggled with purpose. I've struggled with depression. I've struggled with pride. I've struggled with things in my life that I thought I'll never be able to untie. But Jesus has untied my knots, the things I couldn't do. How many of us in here, I want you to testify, if you, are, uh, um, if you have had knots untied by Jesus, I want you to raise your hand. Maybe even give me an amen. All right. Okay. This is why I want you to do this is I want you to see this is not just something that happened way back then. This is something Jesus is still doing. Jesus is still untying knots. And so if you're here and you have some knots, it may not happen today overnight, but the process can start today. And it does start today when you call and you receive this invitation. Zacchaeus did not stay in the tree, but when we receive the invitation of Jesus who came to seek and save the lost. Jesus will untie our knots. But the second thing I want you to see is how Jesus did it. Because just like Jesus, we have the same mission. We've come to seek and save. Once we have had our knots untied, we have a mission. We are supposed to proclaim what he has done for us. If Jesus has untied your knot just like Zacchaeus, how can you not tell people? And here's what I want us to walk away with today. You see, many of us think about living a life that follows Jesus, telling people about Jesus. I could never be someone who tells people about Jesus. I can never, you know, sit down and be that religious person who just tells people. But here's what Jesus did. When everyone heard the knots of Zacchaeus and made assumptions or began to tell, tie on other knots, Zacchaeus decided, or Jesus decided that that knot was an invitation. So if Jesus untied your knot, the second thing, if he's untied your knot, the second thing you need to do is you need to start listening for the knots. This week, what I want you to do is I want you, instead of just having the conversations that you have, you know, when you say, hey, how's it going today? And what you really mean is, please don't really answer that. Just say, okay, and let's get on with this. You know, I don't, it, some of us, we, we throw that out there, how are you doing today? And we're not expecting the answers because some people might really not be doing well. I want you to intentionally go this week when you're at work or school or wherever you are, how are you doing today? And if they just say, ah, oh, things are good. No, 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 I really mean it. How are things going? Is there anything I could pray for you? How are you doing today? And try to figure out how are they doing? Because somebody might just have a knot that they reveal. And our job is to listen for the knots. If you've had your knot untied, your job is to listen for the knot. And you hear that knot, it should be a cue. I need to tell. This is the person God put. They say, hey, you know, things are not going well. That's a cue. I need to tell this person how to get their knot untied. Maybe you sit down right there and you say, I got to tell you who Jesus is. Or maybe you just say, hey, you got to come to church then. Hey, I know, I know a group of, of people that are in the family of God and they've had knots untied and they can help you. I know people who, who have said, hey, my marriage is not going well and I've seen God fix it. I know people who have said, you know, my kids aren't doing well and I've seen God fix it. We have got to listen for the knots. The reason we call this series, that I, I wanted to call this series People of Impact is because I believe there are habits that we all have that have bigger impacts. We call them keystone habits, and that's 
It's really what it's about. But I want to tell you, I think that if you invite people to Jesus, it's the biggest thing you can do in your spiritual life. It'll reveal how many knots you've had untied. It'll also open your eyes to, to the people around you where they're really at. It'll open your eyes to the potential of the church. I, I see this series that we're going through. That's why I said, hey, it's kind of good that, that maybe some people are skipping church because there's a lot of people that have knots. And you're here today because you need to be looking for the knots. My goal is that next week, we're going to have some goals that we're going to, to set as a church. Now, one of the goals is we're reading the Bible together. You, um, some of you are already on that. 70, over 70 people are reading the Bible together right now. We're reading through the book of John, the gospel of John. Uh, I can see if you didn't read, so I'm just going to say all 70 of you did, but there's no check mark by some of your names. I know that. Now, just kidding. Now, we also set an, uh, we set an inward goal. That was to read the Bible together. We've also, next week, we're going to set an improvement goal. That is that we're trying to become more like Christ. So we're going to set a goal to improve something in our life. Maybe you want to get healthier. Maybe you want to, um, to see a victory in an area. Maybe it's you want to be more uh, responsible with your finances. You want whatever it is. I want to challenge you to think of, of uh, an improvement goal, something that we can encourage each other as a church. But today, I want to introduce this idea of an inviting goal. I want to challenge us next week to come with a name. And maybe if you don't have the name, maybe you're just going to come with a, 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 a date. You know what? Before next month, before uh, uh, Easter, I'm going to find someone that I can bring to church. And the reason I want you to is because I want you to understand our call is to do what Jesus did, to seek and save the lost. And the only way we get there is if we listen for the knots. In a, in a couple of weeks, I'm starting a new series called You Lost Me at Leviticus. We're going to go through the Old, Old Testament and, and look at the heart of God. But you know that there are some people that have given up on church because they haven't given up on God, but they've given up on, on the God of the Bible because they, they believe that God in the Old Testament is somehow different than the God in the New or that the God uh, in the Bible is this mean God. And we're going to, to debunk that. We're going to look at the law in the Old Testament and we're going to see the heart of God and it's going to blow you away, I think. But it could be that you know some people that say, you know what, I'm just not a church person. Or you know what, I, don't, I do not believe in the Bible or in God in Jesus. And you need to hear that and say, I, got, I want you to come to church. I want you to come here. So next week, we're going to set an inviting goal. And I want to challenge you to begin praying, who can I invite? Because my heart is that all of us at every moment this week, don't walk around in our bubble, but instead we listen for the knots. It's not going well. I did not think I'd be here. You know what? I, I do not go to church. I do not think it'll get any better. And when you hear that, I want something to go off in your mind. This is who God put before me. This is who I'm supposed to tell about Jesus. This is who I'm going to invite to church. Because even though I can't untie, they're not. I know who can. Let's pray. Lord, my hope with this church today is that we are empowered. Lord, I pray that right now, every single one of us, maybe we're dealing with a knot. 
Rather than going one more day saying, hey, I, I can deal with this, I can push through, Lord, I pray that in this moment we begin to say, you know what, I wanna come to Jesus and let him untie my knot. Or maybe it's simply right now, I'm gonna put a prayer request into the basket. Maybe it's that right now I'm going to put a name on a prayer card and just say, I'm gonna start praying for this person who I know is not doing well. Lord, I pray that this church becomes bold. Lord, I pray that we set our eyes, just like you set your eyes on Jerusalem, Lord, I pray we set our eyes on the people around us and realize we have a purpose here. And that purpose will change lives. And it's nothing we can do on our own, but through us, you can open our eyes to the knots. And you may even give us the privilege of helping to untie some of those knots. Lord, I pray that none of us, I, I thank you so much. I praise your name that none of us in here had to untie our own knots. Instead, you simply invited us into a family. And as a family, we've stuck it out. We've helped each other. We've prayed for one another. And we walked with another, one another so that you could untie our knots. Lord, let us be the family of God and let us be your hands and feet this week. It's in Jesus' name I pray, amen.